we sort of found preliminary evidence that CBD might exert uh, anti-inflammatory, analgesic, anxiolytic and neuroprotective effects that could be useful for the treatment of things like inflammatory pain, head injuries uh, and sports performance anxiety. Except for the anxiolytic effects which have been demonstrated in some small clinical trials, the other observations are based mostly on preclinical studies. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm your host, Steph Gaskell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? I'm good, thanks, Steph. Lockdown is only, what are we, three and a half hours left as of the time of recording until lockdown's over. By the time people listen to this, the Melbourne lockdown yes. will be over, uh, which is very nice. Kids back at school, which is always good. You can be a bit more productive. Um, but yeah, you know, plenty to keep us entertained during lockdown. Kids have been getting into the Olympics a bit, which has been good. Um, and obviously it's been great for, for us to watch it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't you tell me the other day that you went for a bit of a ride with your son recently? Yeah. Yeah. We did a bit of a lockdown exercise trip. So we're allowed to our 5k radius. So it just happens that there's a, a bike path. Uh, there's a park with a lake in it a few k's from our house which has got a sort of a circuit around it and then from there it links up to this other track that goes right down to the 5k radius so we went for a ride down there and um he, so he's seven and he's ridden i think about 15 k's before and he wanted to break that record i've got my garmin with me on the the bike more so so i can tell the time and work out how far we've gone so i know when to turn around and go back and that kind of thing but anyway we did this ride for almost two hours and we got back home, and just as we were about to pull up into the driveway at home, he said to me, Dad, how many kilometres have we done? And I said, oh, 17.8. And he sort of looked at me, he's like, well, keep riding, Dad, keep riding. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, we have to get to 20 kilometres. And I just thought of all those memes on social media about all the people running in circles around their driveway because they haven't clocked, you know, <laughs> the nearest to the nearest exact yeah number. exact number of k's yep. and he's a seven-year-old who's never seen yep. that before and he's already in that mindset so um <laughs> yeah so we had to ride around we went to there's a court around the corner from us we went around down the bottom of the court and there were some kids out playing that we kind of know and the mum was out the front and the mum sort of waved to us and said hi I, and you sort of kept riding and she's looking at me like why aren't you stopping and i said to say to her we've got to keep riding around until he gets to 20 k's and she looked very confused <laughs> she had no idea what i was talking about <laughs> um and then we ended up riding off down a couple other streets to try and clock up the k's and we could see this big storm coming all this rain and we made it home and we just put Whoa. the bikes away when the rain started coming down so we were we were very lucky so yes oh nice yeah it was nice. uh well, yeah was so drive. watch out for when um Watch out for when he gets on Strava, hey? Yeah, exactly right. He's a bit of a numbers man. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he also, he watched the tour a couple of weeks before that, obviously. It's, it's finished recently. And um, we went down this little bit of a hill and he was on his bike. He was in front of me. And he actually got into, like, the tuck position. And then he's he's asking me how quick we were going uh, to look at my Garmin and tell him how fast he was going. He wanted to break his <laughs> speed record. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's a bit of a numbers man, but that's all right. That's cute. That's cute. And you also told me you got a new toy recently. Yeah, yeah, bought a new smart trainer. Uh, my old trainer was uh, packing it in a bit, and it was it's pretty old school. So, yeah, got a new kicker the other day. So I've been playing around on that a bit, and 
been jumping on Zwift with one of my mates over in Adelaide that does a fair bit of riding. So yeah, that's been a bit of fun, keeping me up at night. And that goes, that does the climbing and stuff as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, so I've got the climb as well. So yeah, yeah. good fun. Got the climber and then you've got the, the fan is what I'm really impressed with. So tell people about the fan. Yes, it's an expensive piece of fan. Um, but yeah, they, they kick a headwind. I think most people, or the cyclists, will be familiar with it. But it's basically a, a fan that kind of simulates the pattern of airflow on a bike, theoretically anyway. Um, and you can set it up in different ways. You can adjust it to the heart rate. So the higher your heart rate goes, the more fan you get. Um, or you can um, match it to the speed on the kicker. So the so it basically tries to simulate the airflow you would get riding outdoors. So the faster you go, the more wind you get in your face. Uh, the yeah. slower you go, the less wind, and so on. So, yeah, I haven't had a, haven't had a huge play with that yet. You get a heck of a lot of wind going your way. Yeah, you can do. No, yeah. but for you because you're going so fast, right? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> On the downhills, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I haven't had a huge play with it yet. But I was I was keen to get it because obviously you know a lot of the studies that we do sort of look at the the body's response to heat uh, and trying to sort of simulate what it might be like outdoors is we can use a fan like that mm. to try and better simulate mm. that than the fans that we would normally use in the lab. So I'm sort of keen to have a bit of a play with that and, yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like it. Mm. It's good good toys. Yeah. Good and how toys. about you? You've been watching lots of Olympics? Yeah, have been. Uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying, enjoying that. Getting into watching a bit of surfing as well, which, um, yeah, I haven't really liked. Um, watched and I would never do myself because I'm shit scared of sharks um, scarred by the Jaws movies um, <laughs> but, um, but I've been, been watching been watching the surfing which is cool and the um, the skateboarding how young are the kids that have bloody yeah won? yeah that's crazy crazy yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's crazy uh, but I'm really looking forward to and yeah, the triathlon's great, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing the um, the track stuff and the and the marathon. That's kind of um, yeah, can't wait for that to start. Yeah. All right. Um, so in terms of the long munch, we we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, whether it be in their training session or after the training. Um, and we always have a part A, which is usually a researcher or a practitioner, and then a, a part B, which will normally be an athlete, a coach, um, or you know, like a, a, a sports physician or something um, on that particular topic that we're talking about. And you can find us on all your popular social media outlets, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at The Long Munch, um, and you can sit, listen to us on all your popular platforms. Uh, before we get stuck into, or let's actually introduce the topic that we've got for today. Um, so it's a really interesting topic, Alan, and um, you brought this one up. So, so what do we got on for today? Yeah, so it's episode 17A today, uh, and it's a topic I think both uh, you and I, uh, to be honest, didn't know a lot about prior to this mm -hmm. uh, this interview. It's sort of an area that's sort of been on the, the fringe, um, but is uh, rapidly gaining attention. So we thought, well, we need to delve into it because there are more and more people asking questions about this. So uh, our topic for today is what's the deal with cannabidiol or CBD? 
um, and that's a, an area that is, uh, as I said, gaining momentum um, in terms of medical applications, but also in terms of use of athletes and the marketing of CBD products to athletes as well, more so overseas, but it is slowly coming to Australia as well. Cool. Uh, we'll introduce who we're, we're talking to soon, but um, I do see, I know like, you know, you're pretty probably stressed out from having lockdown again, um, but there's also something else that looks like you just need to get off the chest, Alan. Yeah, well, I mean, we only got four days back after the school holidays, didn't we, before we went into lockdown again, but you're right. <laughs> um uh, this is, uh, to me, it's it's kind of an interesting one and obviously related to our, our topic for today. Um, and it's it's around early adopters. And, you know, there are people that love to be early adopters of all sorts of things. They like to have the latest gadgets, the latest iPhones, the latest whatever. Do you remember Google Glass? There was plenty of great early adopters that were wearing these weird camera-mounted glasses around. Well, who's yep. heard of those now? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some early adopters, you know, those things fall by the wayside. Some of them yeah. go on to be successful and, and part of our everyday lives. But you always have those people who love to get in there first and be yeah. the early adopters. The problem is, though, Steph, sometimes it's one thing to be an early adopter of, you know, the latest Garmin watch or mm -hmm. the latest smart trainer or something like that. That's fine. You could brag to your mates, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And I know there's, you know, people, different people have different motivations. They like just to be the person who's the early adopter or they have that kind of FOMO that if I don't do it, everyone mm -hmm. else is doing it and I'm going to lose a competitive advantage if you're an athlete, for example. Um, yep. But when it's things that you're starting to put into your body that have biological effects, this is maybe where being an early adopter is not the smartest idea. Mm -hmm. um, now, I can understand at the elite level, like again, that sort of FOMO, like if I don't do it and everyone else is, are they getting an edge on me? But at the same time, there's a lot of sort of considerations and risks that you need to weigh up. And certainly our topic tonight, cannabidiol, CBD, uh, is one of those ones where we need to think about this. And I, I won't go into what all those risks are now because they'll come out in the, the interview. Um, but I think with any new kind of nutrition, like sometimes it's fad diets and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, it's you know, a substance uh, which could you know, sort of is in that gray area, whether it's a drug, whether it's a food, is it a drug that's added to food or is it a drug that naturally occurs in food like caffeine, for example? Um, but with any of these, we need to think about, you know, firstly, is it safe for human consumption? Uh, and sometimes, the, you know, the evidence around that can be a little bit debatable at the very early stages. Um, is it legal um, in terms of, you know, the law? Uh, is it legal in terms of banned substances if you're someone who's going to be drug tested? Uh, mm -hmm. And then does it actually work and does it have any unwanted side effects? So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to consider with these. And so being an early adopter when there's not a lot of information out there, there's a lot of hype but not a lot of science, um, sometimes you, you, you're rolling the dice a little bit with these kind of things. So, yeah, definitely um, sometimes when you get see people come to you with, like, the latest thing, you kind of roll your eyes a bit because, yeah, they're, they're all into the hype and the marketing of it, but they don't mm. necessarily understand how it works. Is it safe? Uh, what research has been done? And, and often when you dig a bit further, the research is, is pretty average or it's just been done in you know petri dishes or animals mm. or something like that. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's actually not human trials. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fine balance, I guess, when you're at the elite level of sport, you know, you want every advantage that you can get that's legal and safe. 
but you need to make sure it is legal and safe uh, and that there's there's no risk from from either of those perspectives and um, yeah uh, CBD yeah. as we'll hear tonight is is one of those that's kind of at that that you know new phase where you know people love to be early adopters but when it's when it comes to health and and human biology um, you have to think a bit more carefully than just buying the latest TV yeah yep well said well said feeling better a little bit I think yeah. once we have this interview I think I'll I'll feel a little bit more better as well <laughs> awesome um, and I think we've we've also I've got some a little bit of a shout out I guess uh, no one specifically but uh, we've we've had some really good feedback um, Alan in terms of the uh, podcast we did on um, nutrition for injury uh, so I know um, certain runners have have found that really useful when they they weren't aware that uh, the importance that nutrition can play in in helping with injury rehab um, and potentially even the prevention side of it so uh, I think that's a really big positive um, and then we've had a um, sports physician um, talk about the iron um, uh, podcast that we did and and thought that that was that was really good and really informative as well so um, yeah, we really love to have the, the feedback and um, see if, you know, you are finding the topics that we're covering useful. Um, it's, it's really helpful for us to hear. Uh, and then please let us know any particular questions, nagging questions that you've got or your training buddy may be annoying the shit out of you um, for, for saying um, then, yeah, um, pass it on to us and we'll, we'll help um you know, kind of quieten them down or chirp them up. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Let's get on to the topic. So uh, we have uh, someone that we both um, heard speak at our SDA conference. How long ago was that one, Alan? That... 2019. 2019. Yeah. So a couple of yep. years ago now. Yep. So the next one's coming up actually in October. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll let you introduce um, who we've got. Yep, yep. So uh, our guest today is Dr. Danielle McCartney. Um, now, Danielle uh, often goes by the name of Ducky, and we'll ask her in the interview why that is. But uh, I was certainly introduced to her as Ducky, so I've only ever really known her as Ducky. Um, but anyway, um, so Ducky is a, a dietitian, a sports dietitian. She um, did her Bachelor of Nutrition Dietetics up at, uh, sorry, her Masters of Dietetics up at Griffith University on the Gold Coast with um, Dr. Ben Desbro, who um, we had on a, a previous episode of the podcast talking about beer and, and recovery. Um, she then went on to do a PhD uh, with Ben uh, and, and one of his colleagues, Chris Irwin, uh, doing uh, some rehydration work, some of the work that, that Ben talked about in that episode. Um, and since then, she's actually moved down to Sydney to work at the Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics. Mm -hmm. um, so if there's anyone who's going to know about cannabidiol, it's someone who works at the Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a great chance to talk to Ducky. She's done um, sort of a, a broad look at all the scientific evidence around cannabidiol uh, and its use for people in sport and exercise, whether it's you know performance or recovery or whatever. She's looked at all those sort of aspects and written a paper on it last year. So uh, really no one better to, to answer the question, what's the deal with cannabidiol in sport um, than Ducky McCartney? Yeah. 
Awesome, let's um, crack into it. Let's do it. All right, so Daniel McCartney, thank you so much for joining us on The Long Munch. How are things going in lockdown in Sydney? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Been at it for a few weeks now, so um, into the routine. It's, it's not too bad at the yep. moment. Hopefully yep. it doesn't go for too much longer. Yeah, and as a researcher, you've got plenty to do from home? That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah, cool. And you guys have like a 10K radius too, don't you? Like in terms of being able to exercise, is, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's correct, I hope. <laughs> that's what I've been working with. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, uh, just don't upload it to Strava then. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess the first question I've got for you, we might as well get it out of the way. I remember being introduced to you at a conference a while ago by a couple of your PhD supervisors, and they're like, oh, hi, this is Ducky. And I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. Since then, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call you by your actual name so first of all where does the name come from and how has it stuck <laughs> yeah my real name doesn't get used a whole lot it is uh does tend to be ducky um but honestly i i don't think i can even answer your question i've had it since primary school uh it's been forever uh and i no longer remember even where it came from um <laughs> something something silly in primary school i think um it has, I mean, it's changed a little bit over the years. I know that uh, Chris and Ben, my former PhD student, uh, supervisors, um, have, have a couple of different different variants of it. I've heard Dr. Duck and I've heard Duckosaurus Rex several times. Right. Um, <laughs> Ducky or Danielle is fine. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, it's done well to survive from primary school through, you know, different uh, schools, workplaces, unis, all sorts yeah. of things. It's impressive. Um, all right, and so you're obviously you're a dietitian as well, uh, and you've done your PhD in sort of that sports nutrition area, looking at sort of post-exercise rehydration, as you said, with um, Associate Professor Ben Desbro, who appeared on episode 11A of this podcast, looking specifically, I guess, at beer and, and post-exercise rehydration, but you looked at it sort of more holistically, and, and Ben touched on a little bit of that, that work in that episode as well. Um, but now you're down in, in Sydney at the University of Sydney's Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics. So I guess the first question is, what on earth is the Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics? What are you doing there? And how did you end up in that kind of a role as a sports dietitian? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was quite the transition, uh, Alan. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to get a postdoctoral position uh, at the Lambert Initiative, um, particularly seeing as prior to, um, you know, getting that role, I, I didn't, you know, have any experience in cannabis or cannabinoids that were all very, very new to me. So I've had a, a bit of a crash course after, over the last couple of years. Um, but basically it came about because um, I guess I had a little bit of trouble staying on topic throughout my PhD uh, and tended to, you know, engage in, you know, projects here and there that were a little bit outside of, you know, the, the exact scope of my, my own work. And some of this was in alcohol and driving. Um, one of my supervisors you mentioned before, Dr. Chris Irwin, um, does quite a bit of work in alcohol and driving performance and things like that. And so um, I was involved in some of this sort of stuff um, and, you know, got a little bit familiar with using the driving simulator and those kinds of skills. Um, Chris, at the same time, was collaborating with um, the Lambert Initiative. So he was doing some cannabis and driving work with them. And uh, Ian, who's director of the Lambert Initiative, or um, 
associate, sorry, Professor Ian McGregor, who's director of the Lambert Initiative, he um, contacted Chris and said, well, if you've got anyone who knows driving simulation who can come down and give us a hand with some projects. Um, and so I was very lucky that Chris recommended me um, and uh, took, up, took up the position doing some um, cannabinoids and, and driving type research. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, and I suppose in addition to that, um, some stuff in sport and exercise sort of sort of science that came about um, kind of secondary to the driving. Uh, in terms of what the Lambert Initiative is, so um, the Lambert Initiative began with the Lambert family. Um, basically, uh, Joy and Barry Lambert made a very generous donation to the University of Sydney um, to support cannabinoid research um, after they had uh, a lot of success treating their granddaughter, Caitlin, uh, Caitlin Lambert, uh, who has a, a rare form of paediatric epilepsy um, with cannabis and cannabinoid products. So um, they were really interested in um, furthering that field of research. And so, yeah, the Lambert Initiative was born. Yeah, cool. And you've been there what, a couple of years now? Yeah, around two and a half years. Yeah, cool. Um, and then I guess because of that work and, and your involvement with the initiative there around cannabinoid research, I always have trouble, trouble saying that, um, mm -hmm. you did publish a review sort of of the scientific evidence around um, one particular um, cannabinoid CBD, which is what we're talking about today, uh, and its use potentially in sport or around exercise. So I guess the, the question is what sort of prompted that um, sort of review of the, the evidence? Yeah, I think we I think we just noted what or noticed what everybody else had noticed. All of a sudden, you know, there was this appearance of um, uh, cannabinoid products in the market that seemed to be um, being advertised specifically towards athletes, um, and also you know increasing numbers of athlete athletes sort of using CBD quite publicly. Um, you know, coming out and saying that they were um, you know finding these products beneficial and things like that. And so uh, I guess on that basis, we were interested in uh, summarising what evidence does exist around um, CBD and sport and exercise and, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the strength of the evidence and, and what applications might it have. Um, and then I guess identifying areas for future research on that basis. Yeah, cool. Now that all makes sense. So um, just to, um, I guess, get get a bit of basics with, um, I'm going to have trouble pronouncing these words as well, cannabidiol. How do you say it? Cannabidiol? How do you yes, say that? Yes, Yeah? All right. <laughs> I'm going to shorten that soon. Um, so, so I guess there's a lot of different terms that people can get confused with in this area and I definitely can get confused with it. Um, can you explain the difference between um, cannabis and then hemp, which is found in some protein powders and, and food products, and then tetrahydrocannabinol. I don't know why I got this question, Alan. Um, and then cannab cannabidiol, which we're talking about today. So can you can you explain the difference between those products? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a go. So um, <laughs> I guess my non my non-botanist answer to your question of, of what is cannabis to begin with is that it's a, a species of plant that contains cannabinoids. Um, cannabinoids in turn, and this answer is for any chemists out there only, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> but are a type of, let me get this right, are a type of terpenophilic 
compound. So they have each got their, you know, specific definitions. And so far we've um, identified around 144 different cannabinoids. So there are lots of different types um, of cannabinoids. The two most well-studied and sort of best characterized cannabinoids are, as you said, um, cannabidiol or CBD and delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol or THC. And so Uh, THC is probably best known for its intoxicating effects. It's one component of cannabis that makes people feel um, a little bit funny when they use these products. Um, But it's important to recognize that THC has also been studied for its therapeutic potential. Um, So CBD, uh, sorry, THC uh, is approved for the treatment of um, things like anorexia in patients with HIV uh, and chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting in certain situations. CBD, on the other hand, is uh, considered non-intoxicating. It doesn't have any sort of um, really pronounced or overt um, sort of psychoactive effects. Um, And it, it, on the other hand, I guess, is approved for the treatment of certain forms of paediatric epilepsy. So different um, applications, I suppose. Um, And they're both being investigated for various other conditions as well. In terms of what is hemp, uh, so cannabis sativa can be divided into three sort of main phenotypes, and these are based on um, their different cannabinoid content, concentration, you know, types, things like that. And basically hemp um, is very, very low in THC and other uh, intoxicating cannabinoids, typically contains only CBD or something like CBG. So Mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully that clarifies some of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's much better. And you said those words much better than me. Um, So um, what has CBD been used for um, traditionally? So I guess you kind of alluded to that before. Um, And and now um, what's the main interest in it in in terms of its therapeutic use? Yeah, so I guess the um, longest known therapeutic application of CBD is its anticonvulsant effects. And so I think this was first demonstrated back in the 1980s that CBD had anticonvulsant properties. Um, And only recently um, has it actually been approved for the treatment of certain forms of pediatric epilepsy. So um, the product that's approved is called Epidiolex um, and that's available to people uh, in Australia and other countries in in certain instances. Um, More recently, uh, CBDs probably started to demonstrate uh, some anxiolytic effects, so use in the treatment of anxiety, um, as well as some utility in the treatment of uh, psychosis uh, or schizophrenia. Um, But there are lots of other things CBDs being studied for as well. Those are probably just the few that are sort of most um, progressed. Yep, yep. And then um, where's the interest come from then in terms of its use with, with athletes? Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily um, sort of think, oh, you know, your athletes want to use something that's anticonvulsant and antipsychotic and, and all of these things. But um, uh, look, I mean, Professor Graham Close's uh, research group over at Liverpool John Moore's University in the UK have um, done a reasonably or done a very good job of um, starting to look at this and so they conducted a survey of um, professional rugby players male professional rugby players um, and basically found uh, that the most common reasons for CBD use were to improve recovery or, or reduce pain uh, to improve sleep uh, to reduce anxiety and for some other medical purposes like the treatment of concussion 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and um, CBD's, um, I guess, use was prohibited by um, WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency. Um, however, um, it seems, if I've got this right, it's no longer banned since 2018. Is that is that right? That is correct. Yes, yeah, CBD was removed from the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of prohibited substances in 2018. Um, but THC and all other cannabinoids remain prohibited. Um, I should note that so THC is a little bit different from the other cannabinoids in that it is a threshold substance. Mm-hmm. So basically, athletes need to have a certain amount um, of what's called 11-carboxy-THC in their urine or in some instances blood, I think, mm-hmm. um, in order to be uh, or in order to have committed an anti-doping rule violation. Um, and so I think that threshold is 180 nanograms of 11-carboxy-THC per mil. Yeah. And do you know the reason why THC is banned? Um, Yeah. So uh, there was a there was actually a paper published um, back in 2011 um, and it was written by uh, or involved two WADA sort of scientists and they um, basically explained their stance on cannabis in sport. And so in their article, they claim that WADA meets, sorry, that cannabis meets three of WADA's criteria for inclusion on the prohibited list. And I should note that you, a substance only actually needs to meet two of these criteria to be prohibited, but they claim that um, cannabis met all three. Yeah. Uh, and so they said that it has the potential to improve performance. They said that it um, can be detrimental to health and that it violates the spirit of sport. And so in around that last criteria, they really mean that, you know, cannabis is still considered illegal in most countries and you know, athletes are supposed to be role models. So, you know, you don't want them modeling, um, necessarily modeling illicit drug use. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there are some issues with that argument or with those arguments, uh, in particular, the argument that cannabis is performance enhancing. Um, I think uh, the review draws heavily or relies heavily on one study um, that basically suggested some of their some of their, their findings suggested that THC was bronchodilatory um, and vasodilatory, and that it could therefore improve uh, tissue oxygenation. Mm-hmm. But the same study also reported uh, a detrimental effect of THC on time to exhaustion in cyclists. So, (laughs) you know, to rely on that kind of evidence, it it seems a little bit strange. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing to probably consider is that, you know, although, um, you know, currently cannabis is is illegal in in a number of countries, that that is changing. And so, you know, how long WADA can continue uh, to maintain that stance, um, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that perhaps with more research, um, then that will, I guess, help further the evidence of whether it will be banned or not be banned, depending on the findings. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, it depends what you define as being, you know, useful to the extent of enhancing performance. You know, that we know that THC does have certain effects that might be helpful. For example, they might, you know, um, what would you say? Uh, there's some evidence suggesting it might aid sleep or it might... Um, you know, 
uh, improved nutritional intake in people who are experiencing sort of certain symptoms. Yeah. Um, but whether or not you can c- conclude from that that it's performance enhancing, I think that that's, you know, probably a step too far. So, yeah, definitely further research is required on that one. Mm. Yep. Okay. Um, and then I guess the, the obvious first question for athletes is, um, is CBD safe and well tolerated in humans? Yeah, so CBD actually has a really good safety profile. Um, A fairly recent study, uh, they administered the highest uh, acute dose of CBD that I'm aware of. They gave an acute dose of 6,000 milligrams. Mm. uh, And they also gave 1,500, uh, in a separate group of participants, they gave 1,500 milligrams per day for seven days. And in both instances, um, the small number of side effects were were very, very mild, um, you know, things like maybe some gastrointestinal upset, things like that. So, so CBD does seem to have um, a really good safety profile. And I should put those doses in context as well. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify, um, if you were to purchase CBD over the counter internationally somewhere, um, you know, you wouldn't expect to be able to purchase a product that recommended a dose greater than 150 milligrams, so way, way less than 6,000. Mm. Uh, and when used therapeutically, rarely is it, you know, is a dose greater than 800 milligrams per day required. So, so these are big doses. 6,000 milligrams is, is not something, well, it's not something anyone can even afford to take. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, it has demonstrated good safety. The only thing we probably need to be a little bit careful or mindful of with CBD in and around safety is that it does have a tendency to interact with things. So CBD um, actually decreases the activity of a number of CYP450 enzymes uh, that are often involved in drug metabolism. And so um, it can interact with other medications that rely on those, those particular enzymes in order to be broken down. Um, and so, for example, something that you might see a lot in, in the side effects sort of profile of epilepsy uh, sort of studies that administer CBD, they'll often say that a side effect was sedation and that CBD was sedative. Um, what is most likely happening here is that CBD is inhibiting the metabolism of a drug called clobazam, which is known to be sedative and is anticonvulsant. And those higher plasma concentrations of clobazam are probably contributing to those sedative effects. So Mm. we need to be mindful of how to use CBD in conjunction with other drugs, but otherwise, yeah, quite safe. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, And how readily available is it in Australia and other countries? Uh, Yeah. So CBD is pretty widely available in places like Europe and North America. Um, often in those countries, it can be purchased uh, online and over the counter. In Australia, CBD is less accessible, but not inaccessible. Um, so we have a couple of different avenues via which um, Australians can access CBD and CBD products. Um, the first are via a doctor's prescription. So um, doctors have been able to prescribe um, CBD products under the uh, via approval from the TGA since I think November 2016. So um, they've got a couple of different avenues to do that. One is via their SAS-B scheme. The second is via an authorised prescriber scheme. Won't cover that too much, but the point is if you, if you go to certain doctors, that there are certain ways that um, those products can be accessed for patients in, with certain conditions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem with these schemes, uh, well, there might be others, but the, the main problem with these schemes is, 
is that the products are still very expensive. So you might be able to access a quality product um, that's prescribed from your doctor, but um, it, it usually comes at quite the price. The big change that's happened um, fairly recently, late last year, the TGA made the decision to downschedule um, low-dose CBD products. So um, they'll no longer, uh, or, or they, uh, certain products will become Schedule 3 over-the-counter uh, products. So you'll be able to purchase them um, at the pharmacy, okay. uh, provided they meet certain, um, speci- uh, certain criteria. So... Um, in order to become a Schedule 3 low-dose over-the-counter sort of CBD product, the product needs to have demonstrated clinical efficacy. So right now, all of the manufacturers are in a race <laughs> to madly demonstrate that their product um, is efficacious and then register their product, and then people will be able to go to the pharmacy and purchase um, CBD in doses up to 150 milligrams per day um, is what, what's being suggested. Um, and is there a risk with CBD products that they could contain some uh, THC and therefore result in a positive test if, say, an athlete was taking it and doing a doping test? Yeah, so this, this is a tricky question. <laughs> I'll start by saying that there are a number of studies that have now been published that have looked at um, the composition of different products that are available online and internationally. And they, the results of these studies would suggest that certainly some products are contaminated with THC. Um, the products may not contain the amount of CBD that they claim to contain. It might be higher, it might be lower. Um, one product came back with some potent synthetic cannabinoid in it that can induce all kinds of things that you don't want. So there are some products out there um, that, that have uh, questionable quality, I would say. Uh, but... This is not necessarily the case in Australia. So um, unless, unless you know, you're know you in Australia and purchasing some of these products online. So our prescribed products um, that, uh, so our products that are available with a prescription under the SASB and authorised prescriber schemes, these uh, need to comply with certain, um, you know, TGA specifications. They need to, need to meet certain specifications. The problem is the specifications are also a little bit unclear, or at least I've spoken to a few people, I've read things myself, and there's a couple of things that are just a little bit uncertain. So what we, what we, or what the, the specifications essentially say is that the product needs to contain, um, or is that, sorry, what they say is that all of the active ingredients in a medicinal cannabis product need to be quantified, declared, and labelled within a small margin of error. The tricky part is is that an active ingredient is defined as, um, so it can be THC concentration that is greater than one, or THC content that is greater than 1% or other cannabinoid content that is greater than 2%. And so theoretically you could have um, products that contain very, very small amounts of THC or other cannabinoids that don't have to be disclosed on our prescribed mm. labels. That's what we understand. Mm-hmm. Those product, whether or not those amounts are detectable, it seems seems very unlikely. If it was a small amount like that, that it would be detected. I, I think you'd be super super unlucky as an athlete or a I don't know someone who gets pulled over for roadside testing. Like it just seems like it wouldn't happen. I think mm-hmm. um, so. 
and I guess the other thing to consider is if how is how the products are labeled. So if the label explicitly states that it doesn't contain any THC or other cannabinoids, it's not quite clear how the or it's not quite clear to me, I should say, how the TGA um, regulate that either. I would understand that if they've made that specific claim, then, you know, it falls under all kinds of laws around, you know, you have to be truthful to the consumer and things like that. So it's a long-winded way yeah. <laughs> of saying that the products that are available in Australia via the prescribed sort of systems are, are very likely to contain um, cannabinoids that are within what is safe for athletes. Mm-hmm. Um and I should also add that the CBD products that will become available over the counter uh, in Australia should be subject to similar uh, regulations. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I guess outside of the medicinal use where maybe athletes might be um, considering it is maybe where it's going to be bought online and things, and it sounds like that's where there is a greater risk. Mm. That's right. But um, yeah, hopefully Australian, if, I mean, Australians wanting to use quality CBD products should be able to purchase them online mm. fairly soon. So um, yeah, if that helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or as long as it you know, has that same level of regulation. Yeah. And I guess. If they're buying it within Australia, as opposed to buying it from overseas, where maybe the, there's different regulations. I guess down the track, maybe like if it is, um, you know, able to be um, or if it is something that athletes take up and there's more evidence for it, um, is that something that then um, uh, things like informed sport in those places might then um, provide and then obviously have that stamp of, um, you know, lower risk, et cetera, for athletes to use? Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah, ultimately the products that are available and that become that will become available over-the-counter in Australia should be appropriate. There are just probably a couple of things we'd, we'd really like to 100% clarify. Mm, yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, but, yeah, the ones online are a bit know, risky. <laughs> a little bit iffy, yeah. 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 Okay, so now just looking more at the, I guess, the physiological and psychological effects of CBD relevant to, to sport and or exercise. Um, from your review of the science and when you did that that um, review, was there much research in CBD and sports performance? Uh, yep. So there was absolutely zero, <laughs> which makes it really difficult to do a review. But, um, a review of nothing. <laughs> yeah. So we, we drew primarily on um, preclinical studies, so studies of laboratory animals uh, and of clinical trials of non-athlete populations and sort of tried to, you know, deduce from the available evidence what might be worthy of further investigation. Um, yeah. Yep. And then, so what were the ways that CBD might theoretically benefit athletes? I know you sort of mentioned it a little bit before, but going into a bit more detail, why would an athlete want to use CBD for the performance? Yeah, so we found that, um, we sort of found preliminary evidence that CBD might exert uh, anti-inflammatory, analgesic, anxiolytic and neuroprotective effects. That could be useful for the treatment of things like inflammatory pain, head injuries, uh, and sports performance anxiety. Um, uh, I guess the only thing that we need—I mean, the thing we need to note—is that except for the anxiolytic effects, which have been demonstrated in some small clinical trials, um, the other observations are based mostly on preclinical studies, um, and these are these are limited in their generalizability to 
athletes and humans in general, um, they also tend to administer quite large doses of CBD. So um, we do need to interpret those findings uh, with caution. Um, that said, you know, they do seem to be worthy of, of further investigation. Yep. Um, we also looked at some research in investigating CBD's effects on things like sleep and illness, um, gastrointestinal damage and bone health. Um, these areas were probably particularly limited in, in research, so um, something to, to watch, but um, yeah, not, not yet. <laughs> mm, fair enough. And you mentioned earlier that, um, that there are sort of CBD products already on the market that are specifically targeting people doing sport. Uh, and obviously, you know, the reason we're having this conversation is because there are athletes that are interested in, in CBD or, or dabbling with its use already. So I guess given that there's virtually no scientific research on CBD in athletes at the moment to demonstrate any useful effect, why are athletes trying this and, and or what are the products actually being marketed to them promising to do? Or what are the sort of the, the reasons that someone would be potentially going down this path? Yeah, um, I think, you know, as you say, certain products are being marketed as being sleep promoting, being, you know, um, immune boosting and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, um, people can't, people can be forgiven for looking at them and thinking, you know, oh, maybe I need some of that. And, and then, you know, they, they go ahead and purchase things like that. So I, I think it's partly in the way that they're marketed. Um, but I guess it, it's a little bit of a mess. So it is a little bit of a confusing area because you've got, got mixed marketing that is um, in a lot of cases misleading. But we've also got a therapy that has demonstrated quite a lot of potential uh, and is worthy of further investigation. So, um, you know, if they did turn to the scientific evidence, they wouldn't find nothing necessarily either. Um, so, so it takes quite a little bit of thought to um, navigate this one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I know there's there's been a little bit of research published in the UK looking, I think, at rugby players, so more sort of contact sports and finding that the use of it, particularly, as you said, it's more available probably in, in Europe and the UK, um, that there are quite a lot of athletes using CBD in contact sports over there. Uh, obviously, this podcast is focused on runners, cyclists and triathletes. So thinking about that, I suppose, um, it may be more maybe the inflammatory stuff from a recovery point of view or the the anxiety stuff around competition? Is that where you see that there might be potential down the track for use of CBD in, in those sorts of endurance athletes? Yeah, I think you've sort of hit the right kind of, um, I guess, um, what would you call them? Things that you, that you think that you want to achieve. So hmm. yeah, the, your, your runners, triathletes, things like that are probably going to be most interested in the potential anti-inflammatory effects, uh, the pen, potential analgesic or sort of anti-pain, I suppose, effects, um, anything that it could do to aid sleep, um, uh, those kinds of things are going to be of interest to those athletes, I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. So very different, I guess, to something that we traditionally think of as a supplement around performance, things like caffeine, for example, which are more directly on the performance. This is, I guess, a more around the supporting the athlete in the other aspects of sort of recovery and, and sleep and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you aware of? Um, you mentioned before that you know a lot of athletes are, are sort of um, talking you know, openly now about use of CBD. Are you aware of any runners, cyclists, or triathletes? You don't have to name names, but are you aware of any people in those kind of sports that are already using CBD or claiming to use CBD? Uh, I'm not. 
maybe other people are. <laughs> uh, it's it's very possible. I did actually speak to a journalist from Runners World like last week. They were doing an article on CBD, so there must be interest there. They must, mm. um, yeah, know of people who are who are promoting it, but I haven't come across it actually myself. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and maybe putting aside, I guess, the, the medically prescribed CBD, because obviously that's going to be for people with a very specific medical condition where a doctor has prescribed it. But I guess if we're talking about more sort of healthy people participating in sport that might want to, to look at CBD or, or are using it, what sort of forms does that come in? Is it like an oil? Is it a gel? Is it capsules? Is it drinks? Um, what sort of formats can you get CBD in? I mean, obviously, it's I'm assuming it's extracted from the plant, so it's, you know, pure or as close to pure CBD as you can, and then it's added to some some form of product that you ingest? Uh, well, sometimes. Um, other times it can be synthetic, um, so you can make CBD in the lab and um, put that in products as well, and that's a good way to avoid THC and mm. um, other cannabinoids being present. We actually did that in a recent study, yep. um, and, and we're able to give it to athletes on that, that basis. Um, other forms, yeah, so, you know, it, it does typically typically come in an oil or solution. Um, you can get it in capsules and sprays and things like that. Um, some topical products uh, might be available on the market. I don't know a lot about those. Um, I've heard somewhere, I understand that it does, the CBD does make it into your blood via those topical products, but I haven't seen any pharmacokinetic data. So. So this is creams that you put on your skin, basically, and then That's theoretically right. it absorbs yeah. the CBD that way. Yeah, and then I have seen in, I can think of one study, that they um, actually vaporised um, CBD. So um, I, I don't think that's something that's commonly done in the public, but um, it, it is probably worth noting that vaporised CBD does have a very different pharmacokinetic profile than orally ingested CBD. So um just being a little bit careful, I guess, um, generalizing results from different studies using different routes of administration. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, uh, I guess, substances for lack of a better word that kind of fit in that gray area. You know, is it a nutrition supplement? Is it a drug? You know, caffeine is a good example of that. Um, yeah. Obviously another area that uh, you've been, um, well, you know, the, the guys at Griffith that you work with do a lot of research in caffeine. I guess in this case, you can add CBD to, I guess, food type products um, where it might be considered more of a nutrition supplement or, or it could be in pure, you know, capsule pill form where it, I guess, is, is more like a drug. Where do you kind of see that delineation falling or, or do you think it's not even worth worrying about where that, that kind of line falls? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit tricky. I think um, if you focus on the Australian context right now, I think we can keep it in the, the drug category. I think when you consider who you want to speak to about using these products, you probably want to speak to things like your, your GP and or a pharmacist um, at, at the very least, sort of moving forward when they'll be able to provide the products. Um, but when you look internationally that's not necessarily the case you know they, they are you know cbd based supplements are you know being sold very very you know widely available and things like that and so um whether or not that will start to impact um where cbd fits on that continuum in australia uh yeah yeah it's hard hard to know um it, it might do yeah yeah okay and what is there any particular sort of food products where you see it overseas like, is it in drinks? Is it in foods? Is it in? 
people in the food products. Um, I've seen some pretty uh, crazy things, but I start to wonder whether I can't distinguish whether there's someone playing a trick on me and they've edited a photo online. <laughs> it looks like CBD is in this, or if it's actually genuinely in that product. So um, I don't know. Maybe when the borders open up, I'll have to have a bit of an explore over line uh, on uh, sorry uh, overseas in, in person, see yeah. see what's available. But um, I, I've yeah. I've heard of a few things, so we'll keep an eye out, I think, on that I one. I saw um, <laughs> CBD gummies, like gummy, like mm. lollies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be dangerous. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, CBD gummies. I mean, you can get vitamin C gummies yeah. as well. That seems a bit Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I'll watch this yeah. space, I guess. Yeah. Um, and are there any, like, in terms of the things that are marketed towards athletes, you mentioned that, you know, over-the-counter CBD is, is going to slowly become available here. Will it be in that kind of form or will it be very much still from the, the clinical medical point of view? Like, are we expecting to see those kind of products on Australian pharmacy shelves in terms of the ones that are marketed towards people doing sport? Um, I'm not sure how much marketing towards athletes specifically they'll get away with that's a really interesting question but i wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of um you know they'll, they'll, if they can demonstrate any inflammatory effects in humans um you know they'll, they'll put those kinds of things on their product and so you know if an athlete wants to then purchase an anti-inflammatory cbd product um they will have that option uh, that's what's expected yeah yeah, so I guess it might be similar to something like the no-dose capsules or, you know, no-dose tablets, which are caffeine tablets marketed towards, you know, truck drivers and things. That's right. Are, are then yeah. used by athletes because it's a, a known quantifiable, quantifiable amount of caffeine in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from, from the research, I mean, obviously there hasn't been a huge amount um, with CBD, um, but in, in some areas I guess there has. Has there been much sort of individual variation? So, you know, you have, you line up 10 people and they all take the same cbd product in the same dose do you get big variations in in how people respond to that or is it pretty similar um as you say i'm not sure that there's a lot of research teasing out you know certain you know i don't know genetic or other factors that might influence people's response to cbd but something we're very aware of is uh that cbd can have very different pharmacokinetic profiles in different people um, and the same person from day to day as well. So, um, for example, we recently conducted a study where we gave 300 milligrams of CBD in oil and measured plasma CBD concentrations uh, following that sort of treatment. And we had peak, uh, peak plasma CBD concentrations that ranged between three and a half and 220 nanograms per mil. So on that basis, <laughs> you probably expect some inter-individual sort of variation in treatment responses. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's pharmacokinetic profile is, is very variable. Um, yeah. I think there are a lot of drug companies working on trying to um, improve CBD's bioavailability and uptake and things like that. So it, you know, is a little bit more consistent. Um, and there's some research that suggests that if you consume CBD with a high fat um, meal, it might actually improve its uh, bioavailability as well. Um, but we actually did something like that and didn't see a clear effect. So who knows? <laughs> mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, there is a, a big variation, which obviously means that some people may get any potential benefit from it. Others won't or need very different doses to achieve the same effect. But it sounds like at this stage, we still don't really understand biologically why those differences occur or how to predict, you know, whether you're going to be the high person or the low person. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it tricky. Um, okay. So you mentioned, uh, I think, a bit of research that you guys are doing. Are you aware of any sort of research that is in the pipeline using CBD uh, in, in athletes or in the context of exercise or sport? Um, I won't speak for any other research groups, but uh, we do have a couple of things that we're working on. Um, so the first thing is is a project, and we've called it called a can run, um, <laughs> cannabis and running. Anyway, um, it's it's currently under review. Hopefully, it stays under review and doesn't bounce back. Um, where we we did look at the effect of acutely administered CBD on um, sort of submaximal and maximal running performance. Basically, our thought was, you know, we we know that athletes are wanting to sort of use this stuff in and around sport. Um, we probably need to understand whether or not it's going to have any negative impacts or, or I don't know, potentially positive impacts um, on exercise physiology and, and all kinds of other things, um, uh, particularly because CBD likes to hang around in blood for a really long time. So, um, for example, we gave 300 milligrams in a different study and a lot of participants still had it in blood a week later. We get 1500 milligrams and that just didn't wash out. So, <laughs> so um, you know, we thought it was important to understand what effects it might be having on, on physiology quite broadly. It was very, very exploratory. Um, basically, yeah, we had our athletes come into, the, or, or our runners, they were all endurance trained runners, brought them into the lab on two occasions. On one occasion, they received 300 milligrams of CBD um, in MCT oil, and on the other occasion, a placebo, and it was all randomized, double blind, etc. Um, basically, then we popped them on the treadmill and um, ran them for 60 minutes at 70% VO2 max, so sort of moderate intensity. We took um, finger prick blood samples, we did, ma uh, we did gas measures, we did ratings of uh, everything. <laughs> Um, then we got them off the treadmill, did a few more other measures and then put them on and ran them to exhaustion uh, in an incremental test, measured VO2 max and all that kind of sort of stuff. Um, and so it was really little study. We only got, we only had nine people. It was always planned to be small because it was very exploratory. We didn't know what we were really going to find. Um, you know, we could guess based on all of the sort of evidence that we'd poked through, but it, it was hard to know. Um, and so we didn't run formal statistical comparisons. Um, but what we do think is that we have enough research to um, conduct, a, or, or sorry, we've got enough evidence from that study to conduct a uh, fully powered trial. Uh, and so some of the things that we're particularly interested in our fully powered trial following that pilot is um, the effects of CBD on exercise uh, enjoyment or pleasure. Uh, we tended to find that ratings of enjoyment and pleasure increased with CBD from placebo. Um, the other thing we found was some uh, probably uh, slightly more complex effects on um, uh, oxygen consumption. So a, a subtle increase in oxygen consumption and on VO2 max. Um, again, very, very tentative and you know exploratory. We're still working on these things. Um, and possibly some evidence that there's, you know, it's worth pursuing further research into the CBD's anti-inflammatory effects. So um, very preliminary sort of stuff at this stage um, and not yet published. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's getting there, but uh, yeah. Um, and so I've got a PhD student at the moment. Her name's uh, Aishi and she's going to be taking on what we're calling Can Run 2, which will be a fully powered um, version of that trial. This sounds like yeah. um, Supernova 1, Supernova 2, Supernova yeah. 3 coming up and then Spud, Spud Run and <laughs> it's good. 
Like you can call it whatever you I like. like and she said she could call it something better. So it's it's become can run That's too. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I think it's a really interesting concept that sort of enjoyment of exercise component to it as well. Because I mean, I guess if you think about it, that has applications from sort of you know public health like trying to get people to enjoy the exercise they're doing mm. rather than it feeling like a chore but also in elite sport where you know whether it's cycling or running uh, you know, ultra, ultra running, running that kind of thing where it's kind of that ability to suffer mm. um, is often one of the the important things in terms of um, you know winning races as well so mm. yeah there's there's potential I guess from from that perspective also so that's that's really interesting and obviously mm. we'll look forward to see that being published and then you know um, can run too and, and anything else that comes from that. Um, obviously, I mean, you published that paper, the review paper that is, um, I think mid, mid last year from memory. Are you aware of any other studies being published since then that might be relevant to this discussion? Uh, original research studies, yes. Um, there was one study that looked at the effects of, um, I think it was a relatively low dose of CBD, but for the life of me, I can't remember. Uh, I want to say 150 milligrams per day, but maybe I'll have a think. Um, and they administered that on um, for, for, I think, three days following um, a, a, what do you call it, um, eccentrically loaded sort of um, muscle damaging type exercise protocol. Uh, and they looked at uh, non-invasive measures of muscle damage. So things like, you know, pain ratings and um, some functional sort of stuff that is kind of beyond what I understand. Um, and I don't think that they saw any effects on those um, particular measures. So that's the only other um, original sort of uh, piece of research that, that I'm aware of that, at this stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So fair to say it's very early days still. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess pulling that all together uh, from the review work you've done, I guess the, the original research that you guys are starting to work on, um, what else is out there? And I guess the just some of the, the broader issues around sort of safety, effectiveness, doping risk, that kind of thing. What would your current advice be then if you've got, you know, someone who's maybe a runner, a cyclist, a triathlete who says, oh, you know, I tend to get a bit of niggles or pull up really sore or have trouble sleeping or, you know, just struggle with anxiety before a race or, or any of those things. And what would your, your advice be for them around whether CBD would be something that you'd recommend or not at, at this stage? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky question, I guess. Um... I would have to say, I mean, firstly, it depends on the individual and it depends on the context. So some of the important things I think I'd like to know is um, why the athlete wanted to use CBD. You know, is it for something that's got a fair bit of evidence um, to support it or is it something that is really, really, really not well researched at this stage? And I think that affects sort of the risk benefit ratio um, quite a bit. Um, whether or not they've tried any other therapies or any other treatments that might be um, better established, if it's if it's worth exploring some of those before, you know, taking a step down the, the cannabinoid sort of path. Um, and I'd also probably consider whether or not they're able to access quality product. Um, so whether or not they, there's any chance of them getting a prescription, if it's anxiety related or something like that, um, or whether they can afford over-the-counter CBD when that becomes available. If the best thing that they can do is, is afford, you know, products that are sold online and don't have uh, or don't come with much of a guarantee around quality, um, then again, that works sort of against your risk benefit ratio. So I think those are probably the three things that I would first of all consider. Um, and based on that, 
maybe maybe draw a conclusion. Yeah, yep. I think um, awesome. I remember reading your review and that I think it was, yeah, um, that was one of the comments is that um, depending on what aspect you're looking at, whether it be pain or sleep, um, right now perhaps there's other products out there that we, we do know more about and we know the benefits of them. And if cannabis um, CBD doesn't outweigh you know, um, or win over those aspects, then you're probably better off then obviously to use the products we know more about um, until that further research yep. is done. That's it. Mm. Yeah, we've got yeah. to consider all of those factors. Um, I mean, some people just have this, that they, I guess people have, a, some people have quite a strong belief in mm. cannabis and the benefits of the cannabinoid mm. products. And so that can mean that they're very, very motivated to try them mm. first. Um, and depending on what they're interested in treating, that might not be the worst mm. thing, um, maybe not first, but, you know, <laughs> reasonably early on in the process if it's something that's, you know, demonstrated, um, uh, you know, if CBD's demonstrated really good effects against that. But, um, yeah, if, if uh, yeah, it, it, you know, you've got to encourage people, I think, to think, you know, what's first of all easiest, cheapest and demonstrated um you know similar yes yeah. and if there is that yeah. individual yeah. variation like you just said before how there's such a range at the moment with how much is in people's body um then yeah some people may really feel the benefits and then other people may not be responding simply because they're not getting that dose yeah that's that's right yeah all right um Alan, do you reckon it's now time for the for the fun stuff? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to add in an extra question, actually, if I might, because I'm just seeing you there on the camera, Ducky. Is that a Monash Uni hoodie that you're wearing? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, what's everywhere. the connection there? Yeah. Right on the eastern sort of side of Australia. <laughs> Did you study at Monash Uni? Yeah, I did my um, bachelor's degree at Monash Uni. Yep, bachelor's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so you're from Melbourne originally? I'm from, yeah, the Mornington Peninsula. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. Oh, why did you leave Mornington Peninsula for Sydney? <laughs> well, originally I left the Mornington Peninsula for the Gold Coast. And okay, so I spent fair. years on the Gold Coast studying there. I did my master's in nutrition and dietetics and I did my PhD. Uh, and then I moved to Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you're liking what's what's the best sort of place lifestyle that you enjoy? Oh, it's hard to beat the Mornington Peninsula, but yeah. there's no work in the Mornington Peninsula yeah. in recent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say though, I do not miss the Melbourne winters. They are too much for me. <laughs> yeah, we're suffering through them. Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, so, do you have a particular sporting background yourself? Ooh, um, I guess so. I uh, <laughs> um, used to represent good old Frankston Aths Club, so uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I still run a bit, but uh, nothing competitive, nothing too scary. Yeah, yeah. So was that like in little athletics, or um, sorry, like the the shorter distance stuff, or? Uh, God no. <laughs> so uh, probably specialist event would have been the eight hundred meters, uh, but. I'd throw a 400 metres in there sometimes and then I liked a good 10k road race. So it was a bit of a mixture, um, but yeah. yeah. And so still running a bit now? Yeah, yeah, still running a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun. 
Yeah, cool. Um, and if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, although it sounds like you're really enjoying it and it sounds like a really interesting um, area, what, what would it be if you could do anything? I remember this question getting asked to all the presenters at SDA one year, one of the conferences, and I remember thinking to myself then, I don't know what that would be. Um, <laughs> I did eventually think that would be very cool to be a zookeeper. <laughs> zookeeper, yeah. But I, I knew nothing about actually doing that, so it might not be the um, enjoyable activity that I imagine it as. Um, it, yep. it does look like fun, though. <laughs> Cool. Um, and one of the things on your bucket list you have you haven't yet done. Oh, I don't know. I don't have a bucket list. <laughs> what's what's something? Do you want to do any extreme adventure, or you know, you want to bungee jump um, somewhere, or? I still haven't run a marathon. I should probably have a crack at that at some point. I haven't. I did have a pretty good go a number of years ago, but I ran myself into the ground and didn't make it to the start line. So <laughs> yeah. And I've done a few runs that might, I don't know, I don't know how long they were. I decided it would be fun. Actually, it was a yearly tradition. I used to try and run, actually successfully run most years, from Monash back to the Mornington Peninsula. Oh, wow. Um, that used to be my uh, adventure run for the year. Um, the first time I did it, <laughs> oh, my mother was so unimpressed. I got this speech about how I could not be trusted to live responsibly on my own as an adult. <laughs> Um, what, yeah, what's I, the distance from Monash to Mornington? So I'm assuming this is from the Clayton campus, not from the Frank. Yeah, yeah, campus. Clayton, not from yeah. Caulfield. Um, I should clarify that. Yeah. Uh, well, if you don't get lost, the distance um, to the start of the Mornington Peninsula, I think, is about 36 k's. Yep. But I did get lost. You so took some know. detours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some fairly substantial detours. So. Um, <laughs> So how long did that run end up being? I don't know. I didn't track any of it. I just kept running. <laughs> oh, well, it's not on Strava. It doesn't count. <laughs> so bucket list is to run from Monash to Mornington Peninsula without getting lost. Oh, no, I did that one year. I brought oh, along did. someone who knew where, where they were going. <laughs> I, my coach at the time was the only person prepared to come along with me and uh, we, we didn't get lost on that occasion. But, uh, yeah, so so maybe a formal marathon as opposed to an adventure sort of accidental marathon might be yeah. nice. Something with, like, course markers and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. <laughs> And um, anyone you've always wanted to meet but you've not yet had the chance? Oh, I think I'm going to head back down the zookeeper line and say David Attenborough. He's very cool. Ah, yeah, okay. So you like your animals and, yeah, nature well, and... I don't... I, I've never had, you know, a huge amount to do with animals. I've never worked professionally with animals or anything, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the pets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of got to like them if you want to go work at a zoo, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we have some weird pets growing up and I don't know I always liked that I thought it was a bit of fun we definitely yeah yeah no there, there were some that probably crossed the line um my sister ended up with lizards at one point which was okay until we the crickets escaped around the house there's little chirping going on everywhere and it just keep you up at night and drive you mad um there might have been a redback spider as well <laughs> keep away <laughs> but yeah no, uh, yeah I yep. think um Something like that would be cool. 
And final question, do you live by any piece of advice or motto? Oh, uh, no. No, I'm not that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Keep things simple. <laughs> I love it. Mm, don't make things complicated keep it simple how about that yeah, yeah maybe yeah. that's that's a good one yeah, yeah. that's awesome. awesome all right well thanks so much ducky for um being on the podcast and he uh to give our listeners a, a good overview of of cbd i know it's a it's a topical area that sort of people are often wondering about but don't really understand it or or where it's going or, or what it does or doesn't do and, and how you get it and the, the risks and benefits and all that kind of stuff. So it's great to get that overview from, from you. Um, mm. And, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon at a conference um, or might see you running on our drive home from the uni one day. <laughs> or we'll have, you back, um, we'll have you back as well, especially if you're doing some of that research and or your PhD student in, into that running area. Um, and yeah, I found it super interesting. Like I, um, yeah, it's um, it's a sounds like it's an expanding area. Mm. Oh, well, that's that's really good. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I know that I am much more educated now Alan on I'm still going to say CBD because I'm not so well educated on how to pronounce those words yet I think I need to practice that um, mm -hmm. but yeah that was um, super interesting and I think that uh, Ducky explained things really well too um, yeah. and could put some of those things into into context um, for people but I guess in summary, what does all this mean for our runners, triathletes and cyclists um, in, in terms of how is it relevant to them and where's the research at? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the, the first thing is, you know, all those different terms that mean different things and it's important because the, the differences are really important in this area. So obviously you've got cannabis, uh, the plant, uh, and then there's different types of cannabis plants. So you can have one that's very low in um, THC, which is the psychoactive component uh, or the main psychoactive component that we know of in cannabis. So, uh, so hemp is very low in that, uh, and then it's, hemp is used as an ingredient in food products. It's kind of the one of the buzzy ingredients that's added to products, mm. particularly overseas, but increasingly here in Australia too. And you can obviously get hemp protein powders and um, different you know lifestyle drinks with ad added hemp and that kind of thing uh, in them, uh, but not big in terms of the, the cannabinoid content. So that's not gonna be a great source of, of CBD. Uh, and obviously it's it's legal, it doesn't have any THC in it. Um, obviously THC, as I said, is the psychoactive component. So the, the component, I guess, when people take marijuana as an illicit drug, that's why they're taking it. Um, and that is banned by WADA, THC. So that's where you have to be super careful with using CBD products that they don't contain or are contaminated with THC because there's a risk of an anti-doping rule violation uh, happening there. Uh, and that's obviously where the, the quality of any CBD products that you might be buying becomes really important. So CBD, obviously cannabidiol is, is really is our focus. It's the kind of the supplement that's being talked about in terms of uh, use within sport. Um, and obviously it's another one of the cannabinoids uh, within cannabis plants, but it's not a psychoactive one. 
Um, it's used or has some potential therapeutic uses and it's used in some medical settings for various reasons, uh, but is increasingly being marketed towards athletes. Uh, and some of the things talked about is you know, improved sleep, reduced anxiety, so that anti-anxiolytic effect. Um, uh, and then there's possible effects on sort of things like inflammation and, and so forth. Um, but in terms of the actual evidence in, in athletes, despite the fact that we know um, in contact sports there's quite a lot of use, there's increasing interest in endurance sports as well. But the number of research studies in this area currently number zero in the published literature. Um, although, you know, Ducky's pilot study is, is in review now, so hopefully that'll be published in the next few months. Uh, and then, you know, one of the PhD students working with them at the Lambert Initiative is, is starting a study, so that'll be great. Um, and we're going to um, put some information out through our social media for those people in Sydney um, who might be interested in participating in that study um, when, when the time comes that they're ready to recruit for it. Um, so I guess all of the, the talk about the different things that CBD might be able to do for athletes in terms of recovery, in terms of sleep, immune function, um, uh, inflammation, um, I, I guess are very sort of preliminary. They come from, you know, test tubes and animal studies and that kind of thing. And that's basically where we're at at the moment. There's no, uh, apart from the anxiety effects, you know, clinical studies with, um, with non-athletes. Uh, for the treatment of anxiety in people with anxiety, there's a little bit there. Uh, but for athletes, for other reasons, it's, uh, it's very much lacking in terms of research at the moment. So it's, I guess, as we said at the start, you know, it's very, very much the early adopter stage. Um, the availability of CBD is different in different countries, um, and the quality of that is really important because of the... Um, the purity of it, if it's contaminated with any THC, then there's a risk of a you know a, a positive drug test as well. Um, so yeah, very much the early adopter stage, and very much I think for most people a wait and see. And I guess the final thing is that you know there are a lot of strategies that people can use to to help with sleep, to help with recovery and inflammation and not getting sick and all of those sort of things. So uh, you know this supplement, which may or may not work for those things. Even if it does work, how much effect does it have? We don't know. Um, compared to other strategies that we may know already do work for those things, I guess there's a, a fair risk versus you know potential benefit there at the moment at least. Yeah. Um, and one thing we didn't sort of talk about in the interview was the cost of CBD. And I think you've done some numbers on that, Steph, in Australia at least, to look at what the cost would be to buy CBD, and it's frightfully expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, it's definitely not cheap, which is what um, Ducky was saying. Um, so I know just with the CBD-based oils that are on what they call an S4 prescription, the cost average is say twenty-one cents per milligram. And then when Ducky was saying anywhere from three hundred to six hundred milligrams a day in some research. Um, that's that's getting up there and then if you look at the 1500 milligram um it's yeah it's getting getting pretty expensive um particularly if you're using that on a per day basis and it's not being yeah. subsidized exactly right yeah mm. Mm. Yep. so yep. one for the future one to watch obviously uh and that cost may come down as availability improves so i guess we're mm. not saying it's never going to be cheap or it's always going to be ineffective. I guess we just have to wait for that research to come out uh, and then obviously the availability of products to, to improve. Uh, and then I guess we can we can make a judgment down the track whether it's it's worth pursuing or not. And um, 
in what form is it going to be more like a drug or more like a, a supplement added you know an ingredient added into food um it, it could go either way we just don't know yet yeah yeah um and it sounds like there can be potentially something similar in terms of caffeine with having responders and potentially non-responders as well mm. um so yeah that that'll be interesting to see uh with with further research um so yeah thank you very much to to ducky uh and we are very keen to yeah talk to her or her phd student in the future when when they do more in that area and and in runners um and or any other endurance athlete um now moving on though alan to our next episode i you know, I just love hearing your voice. Um, so I thought, hey, I've got a great topic and I get to hear your voice even more. Um, <laughs> so we're going to cover a topic that I, is really relevant um, for, for um, our audience and that is what is hyponatremia? Um, not to be confused with hypernatremia, which you'll explain um, in the podcast. And um, as as an athlete, and um, do I need to be worried about it? And what what happens if it does, you know, hit me? Um, what what should I be looking out for? What do I do? Um, and how common is it? So um, we are lucky enough to have um, you talk to us on this topic. Uh, and then we'll follow that up with um, very likely a, a sports physician that works in medical support for um, ultra endurance events. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I guess it's one of those topics that, that a lot of people have heard of. Uh, they might have heard of it, race directors warning people about it and things like that, uh, whether it's in you know mountain biking, long distance mountain biking events or ultra running, uh, Ironman, things like that. Um, so it tends to be the the more ultra distance events where this is potentially an issue. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of alluded to it. We talked a little bit about it when we did the podcast around sort of sweat testing and, and sodium there. Um, but we'll we'll cover it in a bit more detail this time around and, and look at specifically how to avoid that situation or, or what to do when you think you may uh, be in that situation. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So So no B episode for this one. Um, no B, And yes. that's mainly because we don't know of anyone or haven't come across anyone yet who can share their experience using CBD as a runner, a cyclist, or a triathlete. But if there is anyone out there who does fall into that category, uh, we'd be very interested to hear from you uh, what your experiences are with CBD. So um, yeah, hit us up at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and we'd be uh, love to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Please do. And um, if, if not for that, please hit us up with any questions that you have uh, on our social media. And um, if you are able to, we'd love to get, um, what do you call it, Alan? You're the technology guru here. Um, feedback on podcast. Oh, yes. Apple, Apple podcast reviews are always great to see and, and hear what people are thinking about the podcast. Uh, or you can leave us a rating, which is just the five stars um, rating which is anonymous and, and very quick and easy to do so yeah I mean if anyone wants to leave a rating or a review uh, on Apple Podcasts we'd be very grateful for that it's always great to, to hear what what people are getting out of the podcast mm, yeah awesome otherwise we will let you all be and enjoy if you're in Melbourne Adelaide um, 
the easing of restrictions. We are finally out of it for now, um, which is, is great, but we all still need to be very careful, obviously. Um, we're excited because we're able to get back in the lab and start our studies and our wars of recruiting people. Uh, but yeah, we'll look forward to chatting to everyone next week. Yeah, yep. And uh, take care, stay safe, everyone in Sydney who's still under lockdown or anyone who's in lockdown anywhere else around the world. Mm. See you guys. Bye.